Hello, and welcome to a new episode of Detalk, the podcast series of the International Diabetes Federation. I'm your host, Felissa DeRose. COVID-19 has dominated our lives for much of the past two years. In this episode, we'll be talking about what we know about the connections between COVID-19 and diabetes. The latest edition of the IDF Diabetes Atlas examines how diabetes influences the risk of contracting the virus, how it is impacted in people infected, and the need for hospitalization and emergency care. I'm delighted to talk about this more with our guests, Dr. Jillian Booth and Dr. Luke Wander. Great, thank you so much. It's so good to be with you. Thank you. I'm now going to give our audience a little bit of your bios. So I'll start with Dr. Booth. Dr. Booth is a scientist at the MAP Center for Urban Health Solutions within the Lee Ka Shing Knowledge Institute of St. Michael's Hospital in Toronto. She is also an adjunct scientist at the Institute for Clinical Evaluative Sciences a professor in the Department of Medicine and the Institute of Health Policy Management and Evaluation at the University of Toronto, and a practicing endocrinologist. Dr. Booth's research focuses on socioeconomic, environmental, and healthcare factors and how they influence the risk of diabetes and its complications. Dr. Luke Wander, is a staff physician at VA Puget Sound Healthcare System and assistant professor of medicine and adjunct assistant professor of epidemiology at the University of Washington in Seattle. Dr. Booth, let's start with you. I have a question. I know that everyone around the world has been impacted by COVID-19 in some way. How has COVID-19 impacted people with diabetes? Is there a higher risk for those living with diabetes? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one thing that we did as part of the IDF Atlas was try and look at that relationship between diabetes and COVID-19 severity. Um, we didn't look at the risk of catching it, although there's a lot of studies out there on that. But what we really looked at is, are people with diabetes at increased risk of having a severe outcome from COVID-19? So are they more at risk of getting admitted to hospital, or as you said, having requiring emergency care or at higher risk of succumbing to COVID-19? So what we did is we looked at the world's literature and we found that people with diabetes are at increased risk, but a lot of that increase, or at least maybe half of what we saw, was explained by the fact that people with diabetes are older on average and have more comorbidities that place them at risk for severe COVID-19. So although the risk kind of looked almost more inflated, if you don't account for those factors, there was anywhere from about a two to three fold increase in risk. And in some populations, up to four fold increase in risk in people with diabetes of, of having these complications. But once you account for some of these other factors, we were left with about a consistently seeing about a 50 to 60% increase in risk. So about half of what you would think without taking those factors into account. Wow, 50 to 60% increase. Dr. Wander, 
And talking about hospitalization, those levels, like how has diabetes impacted hospitalization levels and the complications of COVID-19? Is there a difference? Thank you for that question. First, we'll talk about hospitalizations. And then I think we'll talk a little bit about other complications of COVID. So as Dr. Booth kind of laid out, there's a robust evidence base that shows that diabetes is a strong risk factor for hospitalization in people who test positive for the virus that causes COVID. In our work, we use national databases for the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs to uh, look at some of these questions. This is a nice resource to do this because the VA is the largest uh, integrated healthcare system in the U.S. It provides care for more than 9 million individuals. In our work in these data sets, we found that people with diabetes were more likely to uh, be hospitalized, to be admitted to the intensive care unit, or to die than people who didn't have diabetes. And we also looked specifically at um, people with diabetes who do and don't use insulin. And we found that the relationships were substantially stronger for people with diabetes who use insulin. And pretty consistent with what Dr. Booth was just mentioning, in that analysis, we found that people with diabetes who use insulin were about 70% more likely to be hospitalized than people who don't have diabetes. In our cohorts, most of the people have type 2 diabetes because that's much more common in VA than type 1 diabetes. However, this relationship between diabetes and hospitalization after a COVID test has been seen pretty consistently over time and in a lot of different cohorts. Uh, and this is also true with other acute complications of COVID, ICU admission, intubation, and mechanical ventilation, and death. We don't really know why it's so dangerous in the short term for people with diabetes, but we have some thoughts about it. So mechanisms that might contribute are things like, it could be that they're older and they have more comorbidities, as Dr. Booth was talking about, but factors like um, exacerbation of underlying heart conditions caused by the virus or dysregulation of inflammatory responses caused by the virus or problems with blood clotting caused by the virus might all contribute. So we also looked a little bit at this. We looked at whether prevalent cardiovascular-related conditions might mediate the relationships that we saw between diabetes and increased risk of these short-term outcomes. What we found was that of the heart-related uh, conditions that we looked at, which were things like, does this person have heart failure? Does this person have high blood pressure? It looked like those factors were responsible for about 20% of the increased risk of short-term outcomes, but not more than that. So I think the take-home from that is that we need to do more work to understand how diabetes is affecting the development of these serious short-term outcomes. And if it's okay, what I'd like to talk about just really briefly a little bit is um, more recent uh, evidence about the impact of diabetes on COVID-related complications. And that's the, um, the evidence base that diabetes itself is a risk factor for the development of long COVID. Evidence in this area is substantially more limited. Um, however, I can talk about a single study that's looked at it. So in that paper, which um, also used Seattle data, they found that pre-existing type 2 diabetes was associated with a higher risk of long COVID. And the particular long COVID comes that they saw were fatigue and chronic cough after two months. There were only a couple of people who had type 1 diabetes in their data set, so they couldn't say anything about that. But this too is like an open question. Why does this happen? We don't know. So these questions are um, things we need to think about some more. And uh, especially factors like, do the strains of COVID matter? Does uh, vaccination help? These are all things we don't know. Wow. Thank you so much for that. 
just hearing what you say about how diabetes is a risk factor for these other conditions is informative. And it's also scary. I have to say, as a person living with diabetes, hearing that, I'm thinking, how can I not be overwhelmed um, by the information? And I do know when I watch the news, there's often conversations about variants in different regions. So Dr. Booth, may I turn this question to you? Can you tell me about like geographically the different variants and how COVID-19 manifests in different regions or countries around the world? Well, we know that when infection rates go up, especially if they really take off, we know that there's a risk that as this virus sort of finds hosts and kind of the rates go up that you can actually, they can mutate and develop variants. And that's kind of part of, that's a big problem as to why the pandemic keeps going on and on. You know, we're trying to increase vaccination rates and use strategies to help protect people from getting infected. But the variants keep developing and then they become the dominant form. And as people kind of travel from one region to another, we can, you know, people can inadvertently be bringing back a variant that wasn't previously in that country. So very quickly, it seems with, you know, with population mobility and people traveling again, that we're also seeing that every country is eventually getting the same variants. So, you know, we've had the same struggles in Canada that others have had with Omicron since, you know, December kind of went up, then came down, and now we've got a subvariant of Omicron. So it's really challenging, for sure. And, and just to pick up on what Luke said, it's, it, we don't know yet whether some variants are, are worse for people with diabetes or whether the effects are consistent. Like with our research, we actually had kind of pulled the, the world's evidence, but that was up until February 2021, and it's such a different landscape. And so the studies just keep coming out. We, there's more and more people trying to investigate some of these effects. The other thing which I just kind of wanted to pick up what you said is as a person with diabetes, I know I manage a lot of people with diabetes as well, and, and people have been fearful uh, people with diabetes, some of them have been fearful to go out during the peak waves. And it's really been like the effects aren't just getting COVID-19, of course, there's, and as mentioned, there's long COVID, but there's also how much, of course, how it's disrupted our lives and probably even more so for people with diabetes or at least as much in that group as other groups because of that fear, because of how complicated diabetes is to manage and how many resources you need and how just healthcare systems have been disrupted and so on. So, I mean, there's a lot of things obviously that we could talk about that kind of are kind of coming out of that. Um, but, you know, so yeah, I just wanted to kind of touch on that. Thank you so much. It feels so good to be acknowledged um, for the human side and the emotional side of diabetes, because I can tell you, I would have said prior to the pandemic that I'm not a person that lives with anxiety. And then the pandemic hit and I saw all of these like people with diabetes are going to die tomorrow if they get COVID kind of like news articles. I mean, they were not that, but they were very, you know, stark and, and critical, I guess. And so it made me stay in my house more and not want to go outside. 
I really became a hermit when I'm more outgoing than that. And that then draws me to thinking about appointments, right? Like my medical appointments, some of them were missed. Um, Dr. Wanda, how have you noticed a difference thinking about healthcare systems and people not going to appointments, maybe developing diabetes more or having complications? Like, can we talk about the impact of people who went like hermits like me during the pandemic and the impact of that? I absolutely agree with you without question, right? The pandemic has affected healthcare delivery around the world. Clinic visits and procedures, uh, except for the most urgent, get delayed, uh, especially at peak times where hospitals are most full. Um, and then uh, there are data to support sort of that there's been a, a clear impact of this on people with diabetes. The American Diabetes Association did a survey in late 2020, and they asked uh, a pretty large sample of people with diabetes a number uh, uh, about healthcare behaviors. And in that, in that survey, about half of the people that they asked reported that they had done the same thing that you're talking about. They delayed routine medical care during the pandemic. And further, this is an issue that has really unmasked some existing inequities in our healthcare delivery systems around the world. So in that survey, for example, uh, people who um, reported that they were in lower income brackets also reported that they had more difficulty getting access to healthy food than people in higher income brackets. One bright spot about this, you know, because we're spinning a lot of gloom so far today. But one bright spot is that um, uh, in this survey and in other forums as well, people with diabetes have um, noted that they're having easier times getting access to telehealth care. And there's a lot of potential, I think, if we can figure out how to leverage that to use it to improve healthcare delivery in the future. To go back to the dark side of this again, as you had mentioned, uh, these are sort of the immediate impacts on diabetes. There are also more nuanced and more subtle impacts. So if you don't if you don't feel comfortable going out of your house, you may not go to the gym. You may not take a walk. And so things like decreasing physical activity and increasing obesity levels all may be attributable to the pandemic. And um, when you like lump all this together and add it up, it's it's pretty clear that the impact um, of the pandemic on people with diabetes and on people who are at higher diabetes risk, we should expect that the impact of the pandemic will be substantial. I feel like you have just read my life because I used to do 5K races all the time and then the pandemic hit and I'm like, I'm not going outside. Uh, so this year, 2022, I decided that I have to I have to be more active because I noticed I'm taking more insulin when I'm inactive. My insulin, you know, sensitivity changes, like all of these things are just impacting me. So I am doing much better with my anxiety and getting outside. Um, but telehealth has been amazing for me and my diabetes care. I now like to ask you a question, Dr. Booth. Since the IDF Atlas has been published, are there new revelations or new insights into the connections between diabetes and COVID-19? Well, I think one area that we've been looking at now and as a follow-up to that is looking at risk factors for COVID-19 outcomes. 
in people with diabetes. So what puts people with diabetes at increased risk? And, and some of the risk factors are similar as people without diabetes, such as being older age, having those chronic conditions. We talked about cardiovascular disease. But on top of it, we found that studies, number of studies have shown that higher A1C, so worse glucose control before becoming infected with COVID-19, was associated with an increased risk of severe outcomes. So risk of hospitalization and risk of needing you know, emergency care and risk of, of, of dying from COVID-19. And we've actually done some of this work using our own data from Ontario. So we have a population of about 14 million people and we've used administrative data to look at that. And in about 30,000 people with diabetes who had COVID-19, infections that we also found the same thing that actually the risk of hospitalization and other outcomes was dramatically lower in those who had an a1c in target so about seven percent or less uh a1c which is your, your usual target level was associated with an 80 to 90 percent lower risk of poor outcomes compared to someone who had an a1c of nine or ten percent so having well-controlled diabetes seems to be protected, and that's probably because of your glucose control at the time. Glucose is known to be a risk factor for infections and for worse infections. So it could be a direct effect of glucose and people's ability to handle the virus. So that's that's one thing that's that we've seen, and, and there's more emerging data about, it. again, what is the mechanism of that and, and how can we block that? I think the other side that makes it more challenging is, as you said, we had, we've had disruptions in care, and so not everyone is getting their diabetes as well controlled, although we're getting more capacity to do that now with, you know, virtual care and so on. So I think that's just one of the things that I would probably highlight that people can do to lower their risk is just thinking about their diabetes and how it's managed. Thank you for sharing that because I was wondering, what can we do? What can we do to, you know, reduce some of these risk factors? So making sure our, our um, time and range is good and our A1C is good is helpful information. Dr. Wanda, you conducted a study among veterans with COVID-19. What did your findings lead you to understand about the two conditions? Um, so first, I'll second what Dr. Booth has just said. One of the analyses that we did using these VA databases looked at risk factors for bad short-term outcomes in people with diabetes, and we saw a very similar signal. Higher A1C, in our case, A1C greater than 9% is a strong risk factor for bad short-term outcomes. And what I want to turn to next is something that we haven't talked about much yet today. And this is this intriguing and scary possibility that uh, SARS-CoV-2 infection, the virus that causes COVID, the infection itself may contribute directly to the development of new diabetes. Scientists got interested in this question because even very earlier in the pandemic, we were, we were anecdotally seeing uh, people with pre-existing diabetes who came to the hospital with like profound uh, acute metabolic decompensation and super, super high blood sugars and a lot of insulin resistance when they were acutely ill with COVID. And to look at this question, what, what we did is we used our same VA, uh, national VA data sets and did an observational study 
because the VA is a national system, we had pretty large sample size. We had about 130,000 individuals who had a positive test for SARS-CoV-2 in our system and about 2.6 million who didn't have evidence of a positive test. And then we, we could um, kind of carefully exclude people who had any evidence that they had had diabetes before the date that we signed them up for our study. And in that analysis, we found that SARS-CoV-2 infection was associated with about a 40% higher risk of new diabetes when we looked at um, four months after, uh, four months of follow-up. Other researchers have um, uh, seen a similar signal in adults now, and then this is also the case in kids, actually. So our study, this is all epidemiological research that we're talking about, so it's not, it's not built to explain why this is happening, but it is probably important to think about that and talk about that a little bit today because there are several concerning possibilities. So for example, the virus could be directly infecting and hurting or killing the cells in the pancreas that make insulin, the beta cells, or it could be hurting other cells in the pancreas that support the beta cells, or viral infection may trigger increased insulin resistance that's somehow tipping people over into diabetes if they were already at kind of a higher risk. Um, it's, it's also, it's not even clear at this point how much this, this post-COVID diabetes signal that we're seeing is, is more like type 1 diabetes or type 2 diabetes, or if it's actually something a little bit different than either of them. Given the large number of people who have tested positive for SARS-CoV-2 and who continue to do so, it's probably really important to learn more about this relationship. And as a corollary to this, right, so we're talking about people who didn't have diabetes before, but for people who had pre-existing diabetes, it may also be that SARS-CoV-2 infection can worsen pre-existing diabetes by similar mechanisms. Um, so other authors have looked at uh, the rates of hospitalizations for diabetic complications like diabetic ketoacidosis during the pandemic, and those are up. And that's true in kids, and it's, uh, it's true in adults. Some of this, some of the hyperglycemia that you see during acute COVID is, is, it's probably due to the medications that we use to treat it because some of them do make your blood sugar high. But I'm of the mind that it probably doesn't explain the whole story. So there are a lot of questions here. It has just been a pleasure to talk to both of you today. I have one final question. How important is it for people with diabetes to access specialized care and treatment either to prevent COVID-19 or to treat themselves when they do have a positive test. There's so many different ways we could go with that. I think on the one hand, I mean, we definitely know that vaccination helps protect people from adverse outcomes of COVID-19 that people may get it still, but they may not have as much severe infections. So that's another thing is how people prioritize in, uh, vaccination. And if people can to, to consider getting vaccinated, make sure they're up to date. And I think the health system, as you said, like those connections and making sure people are being connected and they're still getting out and doing walking. And, and the other thing is making sure they're supported. I mean, the thing that I think we maybe didn't quite get at is not just, you know, the impact on the health systems or the disruption of the pandemic itself, but we're also facing, you know, a big economic impact of the pandemic. And some people are losing their jobs. 
We're seeing food insecurity at all time highs. And so there's a lot of things where I think, and I've seen with some of my patients that they're struggling in terms of affording the medications, in terms of food, which is already brought up by Dr. Wander. So there's a lot of things that we need to kind of really make sure we band together and make sure that people with diabetes have what they need and that we're we're not just kind of putting out those fires by having you know our virtual visits with people but that we think of the broader sort of social determinants of health and the resources that people need because it's only possibly the start of it when we think of how things are going to roll forward after this even after the infection rates go down. I don't have much to add it's a it's a nice answer I, I would say you know, when I talk to my patients who have diabetes, I try to point out clearly that there aren't specialized treatments for COVID-19 for people with diabetes who get it, right? But there are potent, there are treatments that we know have great potential to help people who get COVID. And that includes people with diabetes who get COVID. And as we've talked about today, like clearly people with diabetes who get COVID are facing increased risk of these bad outcomes. We haven't talked much today about the fact that that's especially true for people of color with diabetes who get COVID. But this is a, this is a place where um, we really need to advocate for people who have diabetes, in particular individuals of color who have diabetes to get access to things that we know work, right? Vaccines, which we know can prevent severe COVID, uh, and then treatments, things like Paxlovid and the monoclonal antibodies and remdesivir to treat COVID when it occurs. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much, Dr. Booth and Dr. Wander. Thank you again for these incredible insights and important information about the connections between diabetes and COVID-19 and COVID-19 and diabetes. I just want to say thank you. Thank you so much. I mean, it's been great participating today. I really enjoyed it. Thank you both. Um, it was really a privilege to be with you. For everyone listening who would like to learn more, we encourage you to explore the IDF Diabetes Atlas 10th edition. It is available at diabetesatlas.org. Again, thanks all for this episode. Thank you for listening and make sure you join us soon for a brand new episode of DTALK, Conversations in Diabetes brought to you by the International Diabetes Federation. <laughs>